Welcome to Intelligent Adventist podcast. We are going to go through the book of Mark chapter 4 in the next few episodes. Verse 1. And again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed fell along the path, and the birds came forth and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, and since it had no depth of since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose it was scorched, and since it had no root it withered away. The other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and multiplying and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let them hear. So Mark paints a picture of the... So in this section... Mark begins by painting a picture of the context around Jesus' teaching, and particularly Jesus' method of teaching. So it says, and he began to teach beside the sea. Obviously, a huge crowd had followed him to the sea, and he got into a boat to avoid being pressed by them. He taught them many things. The mode of teaching was parables. Is there any other experience or any other example in biblical history of people using parables that you can remember there's nathan's parable to david of the poor man that had one sheep that was a pretty powerful and precisely administered with a lesson there to get the right message across um and then there's god using parables with different prophets hosea was one a live parable live parable hosea was it Isaiah that leaned on one side and then the other? Or no, no, no. <laughs> Hosea was the one that had the wife that was uh, that kept sleeping around. No, no, I know. But and then Ezekiel was Ezekiel, the one that... Sorry, yeah, Ezekiel had that. Yeah, he had the live parables too, but his stuff was acting out all his stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so he lay on one side, then he lay on the other, and then he was asked to cook all the different types of things just yeah. to demonstrate what would happen in the, in the siege. So there are some... Then there's Jonah. Jonah's whole life story ended up becoming a... A story in Jesus' uh, talking points. Yeah. So there's quite a few. Yeah. the The purpose here for parables is given actually later in this chapter why Jesus was using parables. But if we look at the the mode for teaching, it's a very effective one. So first of all, Jesus' choice of examples or characters in the parable are things from everyday life that anybody could associate with. So even today, if you talk about uh, somebody sowing, I remember as a kid watching somebody sow the fields uh, of wheat. So they would just walk up and down these rows with uh, a grain sack in their hand and just spread the, the seeds abroad. And, and I would see the, the crows and other birds come and you know, sit down right next to the seeds and just gobble them all up. I've seen that as well. Anybody in Jesus' day would have seen this example of the seeds falling in wrong places or the seeds being eaten up by the birds. And he, they would have realized, they would have remembered the, the instance 
And every time they saw that, they would have remembered Jesus' story. So it was not only an effective tool for communicating a certain truth, but it was also an effective memory tool for them. And I think that was, uh, that was Jesus' point. Now, let's look at each one of these uh, particular uh, things that were brought up in this particular uh, section, then we'll go on to the interpretation of it. So it says that there's a sower, and he's going out to sow, and he has his seeds, and then they fall on different qualities of soil or no soil. So the first place where they fall, it says that it fell along the path and the birds came and ate it. So they, th that seed had no chance, right? And then other seed fell on rocky ground and it did not have much soil. So it quickly sprang up and then it died because it didn't have any roots. And the last one, well, the second last one was that uh, the seed fell among thorns and it had to compete with the thorns and it lost. And then the last one was it actually fell on good ground. And then depending upon the soil quality, it produced its uh, maximum potential, right? So now let's go. Is there anything else to, to say over here? No, I think, I okay. think that summarizes that. Yeah. All right. So then let's go on. And, and then the interpretation comes along. So... The purpose of parables first and then the interpretation. So here Jesus is giving a key or an example of how to interpret his own stories, right? So verse 10, it says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the, the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower, went, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the, the seed is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And then these are the ones sowed in the rocky ground. Those who come and hear the word immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others, they are sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for things enter in and choke the word, and it pr proves unfruitful. But those are that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So a lot to unpack over here for this particular interpretation. But let's look at first the purpose of parables. So I, I remember reading this article by somebody who talked about how Jesus would talk about things, and apparently his whole message was secret, and only a select few needed to understand, and the rest needed to be ignorant, and all this stuff. I don't think this is what Jesus is talking about here. I think what Jesus is saying is that in that particular instance, or particular period of time in ministry, he had to speak in parables because there was uh, an uprising against him. And he could not speak openly what he wanted to say, and so he had to to encode his meaning 
through parables in such a way that he could say stuff without them finding anything wrong in what he had to say. Yeah. Then, do you have anything to say? Or well, no, say? go ahead with that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. So the main point the main point is that there wasn't anything secret per se that Jesus was trying to hide from everybody because later on in his life he said, "Hey, I spoke openly." Yeah. Right. So he wasn't he wasn't deliberately trying to mislead neither was he deliberately trying to hide his own message what he was doing is he was just working with what he had and what he had at the time was people who were listening to every word of his including his enemies and so he had to be careful about what he said so there's there's distinct there's three distinct phases in jesus ministry so the first year jesus spoke openly he went everywhere he said things he did things the second year, he had to guard his words. He had to speak in parables, stories, whatever. And then the third year, it was kind of like hide and go seek. Jesus was here, there, everywhere, and nowhere at the same time, while people were looking for him, and he was trying to stay one step ahead of the, the authorities, right up to the, the point where it was time for him to be captured. Uh, I'm also imagining that there's people in the crowd that are probably asking themselves certain questions as they follow Jesus and his ministry. And one of the questions could be, um, you know, why is it that not everybody believes Jesus? You know, why is it that so many people are against him? Why is it that the, leader, the leaders are not uh, accepting his ministry and so on? And I think Jesus might have been indirectly addressing the very issues that people were wondering about through a parable like this, trying to help them to, to realize that, you know, in, in many aspects of life, there's different receptions, you know, even in, in, uh, in farming, this, the seed is uh, received in different ways depending on the soil and so on. So basically the fault is not with the seed, the fault is with the soil. And that's why some people are accepting his message, some people aren't. And, you know, maybe the, the apostles, did not, the, the disciples didn't understand the parable, but that doesn't mean everybody in the crowd didn't understand the parable. Other people listening to him might have said, hey, okay, that makes sense because that's what I was wondering about. Exactly. So. But, <clears throat> yeah, and so looking at this, let's let's talk a little bit about his interpretation. So one of the things he said was, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? So apparently this parable contains uh, some of the the keys for interpreting other parables, right? And I think what it is is, essentially looking beyond just the the original descriptions, the original, whatever you want to call it, like um, the story itself. Yeah. So Jesus is saying, hey, look beyond the story, because clearly I'm trying to communicate something beyond just this, right? So in this particular thing, he says, here is how to interpret this thing. And it is a key for interpreting other parables. So whenever you hear a parable, just remember that it's probably me teaching something and you can figure it out, right? That's what he's trying to say. The next thing he says, in my mind at least, is he goes into the quality of the word. So first he says is the sower sows the word. Like you said, there's nothing wrong with the seed. It's perfect, but it's falling on different grounds, right? And he, he classes four different kinds of hearers. So the first hearer, is the the ones that hear and immediately uh, the birds eat it, right? And so this is essentially 
people who hear the word, but it doesn't land. Yeah. It's just gone, right? Satan gets to them too fast. The second class of people are those that are sown on rocky ground. They hear the word and receive it immediately with joy, but they have no root in themselves. So I want to I want to take a second and think about this this particular class of people. So in my life, I have seen the gospel preached many many times. In fact, the time that that I was converted and I was baptized, half of my baptismal group was ready to be baptized, and then on the night before the baptism, they decided not to be, and they left. So clearly. There are people who hear the word and they receive it because it's it's good news. They feel like it's going to change their life, but they don't allow it to sink in and gain a hold on their life, right? What are some things that prevent these people from like making the, the word go all the way through? Um, yeah, I think... I, I honestly think each one of these four categories can be broken down into subcategories if we really think about it. But there's different reasons why somebody might initially be excited about the message and then turn away. So one reason is because of false expectations. Like sometimes the way the gospel is preached, it gives people the impression that, hey, this is the answer to whatever problems you're having. Um, you know, your life isn't great right now, you're, you're having all these issues, or maybe you're struggling with this addiction or this problem or this habit or whatever, and here's a solution, come accept the gospel and you're set. And then people buy into this without realizing that, no, the gospel is much deeper than that, and then they're disappointed. Um, uh, other times people accept the gospel not realizing that it comes with persecutions. You know, they, they, they face opposition once they accept it. And once the opposition starts, they're like, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I thought it was just, you know, something simple. I can accept Christ into my life and, and everything's fine. But now I have to deal with all, this, all these trials. And so all these different things um, can cause somebody to initially be excited about it and then eventually lose interest. Yeah, so some of the, the, the problems with the presentation of the gospel can be the the hype that surrounds the evangelistic series yeah everybody's kind of like in this pressure cooker environment and everyone is pressuring everybody else to make a decision there's emotional music being played there's the the speaker up front and the time thing where it's like decide today you may be dead tomorrow i've heard some of those sermons oh yeah you yeah know. this person came to the investors and meeting and they didn't make the decision they got hit on the way home yeah you know, all this uh, all these sales, stories. sales techniques. Yeah, buy Jesus right now. And yeah, those type of pressure things in the moment people can give in, but it does not have a long-lasting uh, effect. And I think that's that's what Jesus is talking about. The Word doesn't have the time to, to actually work in somebody's life and make a change. And the other thing I would say is like it comes with even like information gathering. So... Let's say you may be someone that's searching uh, for God and then you start reading about him in the Bible or you start reading in books or whatever. And then you just read and read and read and read and you don't allow for time for reflection where you're thinking about the verse, you're thinking about the chapter you just read uh, or the passage you just read in some book and you're not applying it 
to your life in various situations. And because of that, it never really becomes you. In chess, for example, the game that you play, uh, beginners, they start out by memorizing a few moves and they think that they know everything. And then they go and play a real player and then all of a sudden he plays or she plays a different move and then suddenly their pre-arranged moves no longer work, right? And it's the same way with the Bible. Like, you may think that you know it, but it has not actually sunk into your life and it hasn't made a difference to where when you're presented with temptation or you're presented with a situation where you need the application of that particular knowledge or belief, it's no longer available for you. So you end up failing. So I think some of that, that ends up happening and there's this enthusiasm gap after a while and then it just, you give up. Yeah, sometimes people feel like the preaching of the gospel is like a bait and switch because, you know, um, and this could be for different reasons. Like, for example, they'll come to an evangelistic meeting and they're immersed in this extremely spiritual environment, something they've never experienced before, until they make their decision. And then the evangelist leaves and then they're sent to go attend the local church and the local church is almost dead spiritually and the pastor's messages are nothing like the evangelist. And they feel like, what was this? You know, I didn't sign up for this, you know. Exactly. Um, so maybe it's it's worth taking a minute or two to talk about evangelistic methodologies as well. Sure. So the evangelism method that we know today in the Adventist Church started uh, kind of in the mid-Adventist uh, period. But let's just go back a little bit further. Um, the Millerites started out by preaching a highly pressurized mes message which had a time element to it, which in all, uh, you know, fairness to them was very real because they really felt that according to their calculations that Jesus was going to come right now or at a certain date. And for that reason, it, it gave an urgency to the message that has never, ever been given since. But once that was over, the, the preferred method for people being brought into the Seventh-day Adventist Church was through small group Bible studies. So they would have these Bible meetings, they would go over the Bible until everybody got it, and then they would move on to the next place. And sometimes that took anywhere from a few weeks to six months. But the thing about those converts was that they have stayed in the church almost till now. Like if you go to Massachusetts, I have associated with people who uh, have, you know, whose great-grandparents were brought in by, by Ellen White. And they're mentioned in some of her writings, you know, reproofs or whatever. So that's their claim to fame. But these are people who were brought in and they're very sincere Adventists. And they've served the church in whatever capacity ever since then. Generations down. Now that's some real deep uh, Bible teaching, right? But what happened over time is as the church kind of grew, people began to preach from place to place set up a tent, preach, leave, and go do it elsewhere. Other churches are doing the same thing. And over time, one guy, I forget his name now, but he went to a group of people who were very knowledgeable in Scripture, and some of them happened to be ex-Adventists. So he presented what was distinctive, which was the Sabbath, the, the sanctuary, the second coming, state of the dead, so to speak, uh, the five S's. <clears throat> and he ended up converting them within 21 days. And it was a record. And they all joined the church. So everyone started doing that. But the problem was, 
they were doing it with new audiences that had never heard Adventist faith before or never even heard of the Bible before um, or were biblically illiterate, even though they were in the United States. And those people began being converted in 21 days. And that was a problem. And the church has never fixed that. So with the change of technology, we just amplified it. We went online, we went on satellite, we went on TV, and we've just done the same thing. And the results have followed the same way. I wrote a paper on this long ago that you can read. Um, it's on our website on Intelligent Adventist. It's, uh, I think, uh, part of the One Project series, uh, Article 5A and 5B, 30,000 words. But when you look at that, that story, I start out by saying this is how the New Testament did it. New Testament Christians, what they understood about making disciples, and then what was done after they left the scene. What, you know, people who were taught by Christ, then people who were taught by the disciples, and then the next generation that lost it, and then it just went on from there. So I think that is a very direct, a very direct consequence of the evangelistic method that we use today. Yeah. Yeah, the, the process that we advocate is, is biblical discipleship, uh, which, which involves teaching, but goes beyond the teaching as well. So Living. Yeah, living. Because, yes, I think the 21-day series focuses entirely on teaching, but even the teaching is, is superficial because there's only so much um, true understanding that you can encapsulate in, in 21 one-hour messages. Um, the kind of the kind of material that we cover uh, for people to really understand Adventism is the kind of material where people need to take their time and really process. And it also depends on where the people are coming from because we create this one-size-fits-all system that just doesn't work. I mean, you know, we have people would from other religions, people that are atheists, people that are um, within other denominations that have a very different approach to to Christianity than we do, and and sometimes we need to deconstruct certain things and, and rebuild them uh, without within our thought process. And there's just no way to do that for a whole audience that are that's composed of many different types of people within 21 days. And that's just the teaching part of it. But there's there's this living element that you cannot get unless you actually take the time to to live life alongside people. Um, and that's what the local church was intended to do, and that's why God uh, set up the spreading of Christianity, this, this, uh, this process of taking Christianity to the world to be done within, a, within communities. And um, the point of the church was to, to make that happen, to, to take people in and to just walk alongside them and help them and, and uh, just immerse them in, in the Christian way of life. But what we do instead is we put people into this pressure cooker for, for two weeks, and then we put them into the church, and, and they're just left to fend for themselves after that, and they're not ready, and they don't really understand what they've gotten themselves into. They f a lot of times they feel that down. Some people leave, other people stay in the church, but have limited connection with it. Yeah, so I think this parable has, has a, lot of, a lot to teach us about God's way of doing uh, evangelism.